Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is PSG Small Talk for Sunday, May 20th, 2018. And on today's show, me and um, my guest, fellow PSG Talk contributor Eduardo Razo, will speak about the uh, whimpery kind of end to PSG's 2017-2018 campaign. And we will give our thoughts on the Tomas Tuchel press conference, which wrapped up about two hours after we, uh, two hours before we recorded this. Um, Eduardo, how are we doing on this fine day? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, you know, I guess this is a new era for any PSG supporters, and start of a new, uh, you know, new era, new day. So I'm feeling, you know, refreshed. I'm feeling, you know, it's all positive. You know, you whenever you introduce a new coach, player, etc., it's you know it's a, an exciting you know day and uh, just full of uh, you know positive vibes. Yeah, and you always sort of get the positive vibes when you're talking about the introduction of something new, whatever that something new might happen to be. It's new, so anytime you kind of have that new thing introduced, you always feel a little bit better. But right now, we're going to talk about something old which is the 2017-2018 PSG campaign. Just as a quick recap for everybody, I know you probably don't need it, but I'll just do it anyway. PSG finished this season with 93 points, which is the second highest total they have ever achieved in League One, the highest being two years ago when they won the league on 96 points. PSG won Liga by a 13-point margin to second-place Monaco, who finished with 80 points. Lyon finished in third with 78, and Marseille finished in fourth with 77. Um, PSG qualified into the knockout stages of the Champions League with the highest point total this season and the highest goal total in the knockout rounds, in the group rounds, I apologize, and in the round of 16, They lost to Real Madrid, 3-1 in the first leg, 2-1 in the second leg for a grand total of 5-2. PSG also have won all three of their domestic competitions when it comes to cups. They won the Trophée des Champions in late July. They won the Coupe de la Ligue by beating Monaco in the final, I believe, 3-0. 2 or 3-0, maybe 2. And... They won the Coupe de France by beating uh, third-tier side Les Herbiers 2-0 at the Stade de France. So, PSG also set a record for most goals scored by a French team throughout all of the competitions that they played with 178. So, let's kind of put a bow on this season. If you had to give it a letter grade, seeing as you're now a... um, you are now a college graduate, and congratulations on that. Uh, thanks. Um, letter grade, from A to F, where would you, um, how would you grade this 2017-2018 PSG season? I'd go with B-. Um, you know, domestically, they everything you wanted them to do, they, they pretty much want every domestic trophy there is to win. The only uh, sour taste uh, domestically was that they didn't get to 100 points. So they, um, I know you were touching that, on, touching on that uh, ever since they got eliminated in the Champions League. That 
you know, they still had obviously the League One title and trying to become, you know, probably the best French team ever. But, but you know, uh, they went, you know, they limped into the, the to the finish line. Um, but aside from that, you know, they 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 dominated domestically. So, um, but then when you look at the European, uh, I guess uh, thing, uh, things, uh, they they. Did well in the group stage. I mean, that that last game against Bayern Munich and Bayern uh, didn't come off. You know, it, it didn't you know go as planned. Um, and then you obviously had to draw against Madrid, and we all know how that ended. But aside from all that, overall, I think for me, it's the B minus. I would say I'm slightly above you. I would say I would give them a B, and I would be tempted to give them more than that if they had given a little bit more of a stronger performance against Real Madrid in those first in those uh in those two legs. I did not think that they would I I was not confident that they could beat Real Madrid and I think what has been proven over the last 2 months is that it's really hard to beat Real Madrid in a knockout competition like the Champions League. Juventus couldn't do it, Bayern Munich couldn't do it. Liverpool's going to try to do it next week, and I don't think they're going to be any more successful than the other three were. That's just sort of, it's what Real Madrid is built to do. They have a good, obviously one of the best core group of players in the world. And I think it was, in hindsight, unrealistic to think that a PSG team with an attack that had basically been put together five months earlier, five to six months earlier, could go in and be on the level of Real Madrid, if not better. However, I would still say that PSG needed to put out a much better performance than they did in the Parc des Princes against Real Madrid. They didn't show up in that game the way they needed to. I understand they didn't have Neymar, but there was no real spark. There was no fire to the team. And... That takes me. That takes the season down a notch. Not that they lost to Real Madrid, but sort of how they did it in the end. Kind of a very deflating kind of loss, which I think really carried over into the later, um, into the later stages. PSG did what they needed to do to win the competitions, but once they beat Monaco seven-one to win Liga and clinch it on April fifteenth. They just sort of fell off. I think mentally they fell off. Physically they fell off. The last four games were three draws and a loss. And I think a lot of people are going to use that to sort of um, rate this season lower than I think it deserves to be rated. PSG did what they needed to do to win the league. They weren't an all-time great French team, although statistically they kind of were. It's just at the end of the year, they just had no motivation to really go into these games. And a lot of their top players were either injured or rested. And I would say a B, because obviously you can't give them anything higher than that because of the way they sort of crashed out of the Champions League. But I think we're pretty much on the same page on that. Um, Your MVP for PSG. Let, we'll go through. Let's go through some sort of impromptu le, late, you know, end of season awards. Who's your most valuable yeah. player? Um, let's see. I would. I'm tempted to go with Neymar, but 
Otani. Uh, just uh, he was. Uh, I, I think that that um, performance. I guess I don't want to say performance, but you know the long goal in the in the, the Champions League at home against Madrid. Um, you know, it's just he 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 he, he gets his he gets his um. I would say he gets his, he gets a knack for not you know being one of the by you know he gets he gets a knack by not being one of the the best goal scorers or you know he gets criticism but I think he he's shown that uh, this season you know he is one of the top goal scorers in Europe and just the way he he has that passion for the club I mean I think um I think uh, I think it was that seven one Monaco uh, uh, win you know after the after everybody left or after, you know, much of the celebration was going on, you know, he, uh, he was just, I think he was just celebrating with the ultra and, you know, statistically he wasn't as, uh, wasn't as best as he was last year, but still he put up, I think it was, I think I saw a tweet today where he scored 28 goals in the league on, if I'm not mistaken. No, you're Um, yeah, he scored 28. Um, I think the next closest to him was 23, and then Neymar at 19. So I, I would go as, with Cavani as my MVP. And I, I'll go with Neymar, and I, and I know, I know, I know. But let's be completely honest about how this team looked when he was playing versus how this team looked when he wasn't. And... It's sort of really easy to see that in the games he played in Liga, he had 19 goals and 13 assists. Now, those are ridiculous numbers for a guy that only played around 20 league gun games in general. And during the group stages, he absolutely dominated. I didn't think there was one game where you went... Neymar didn't show up in the group stages. He was good in every game. Even that Madrid game, I thought he was good. Not the the first Madrid game, I thought he was good. I thought the Bayern game where they lost, I thought he was pretty good. It was That was more sort of PSG's midfield getting obliterated. And I feel like once he got hurt, this team really did sort of decline in form. And you could tell that they just weren't as explosive offensively. That they sort of regressed back to what they were in 2016 and 17, where, yes, Cavani scored a lot. But if it wasn't Cavani, it would have to be somebody else. And that somebody else usually didn't show up. What helped PSG, I think, in who would be my runner-up, and I know this is sort of weird to say, I have kind of three MVP, three sort of candidates and one of them is Alphonse Ariola, and the other is Angel Di Maria. Because I think that Di Maria really, especially in the second half of the year, carried that team in the months of January, February, and March when Neymar was in and out of the lineup, when Cavani was in and out of the lineup. Kind of an underrated year for Angel Di Maria. Whether that means he stays or not, I don't think, I don't really know. But I think he gets an honorable mention. And I would say that Alphonse Ariola, and I'm going to include him in another sort of category here that we, as we go along, but I thought he was tremendous in times. I think he was, he limited his mistakes. He didn't nearly make the mistakes he made last year. 
He was arguably their best player in both legs against Real Madrid. He stood up to that challenge, and he looked fairly competent in doing so. And I think he's matured a lot as a person to where he knows that he can now be the number one for PSG, and Nasser Al-Khalifi said as much. So I just wanted to add those two as sort of runners-up for my MVP. Let's go with most improved. Oh, I'll go with uh, Ariola. Um, just piggyback off what you said. I, I, for my, you know, my opinion, I think he was the best player in both legs against Real. I mean, he stood. Um, you know, he, he like you said, he, he welcomed the challenge, and for the most part, he, he, uh, he, he went. You know, he, he, he embraced the challenge, and, and he showed up. Um, that was for me the the point in the season where. I know there's always talk of getting a new goalie or be all black, all he's done, but I, that, that, those two legs made me comfortable saying, you know what, we can go with Ariola for at least another season or two. And then, you know, we readdressed, um, the goalie situation. But for me, he's been the most improved. I think also the other match, I think it was against, uh, that um, where he pretty much, uh, got, Got the draw. I mean, he stood on his head there. Um, but yeah, he, he's, he, he was the most improved, uh, in my opinion. Um, I would say it's him or Giovanni Lochelso, but I, I wouldn't argue Ariola. I think I would have Ariola as my most improved with Giovanni Lochelso, who I think has turned into a very solid league on starter. And a guy that's going to fit into PSG's plans for the next few years because he's not on a particularly um, expensive contract. He's signed up for the next three, four years or so. He's going to be a player for them. And I think this year was a breakout year for him in that now we know that he can sort of come on in and give them some solid performances and sometimes even be better than solid, even be spectacular at times. Um, Let's go with... um, uh, I'm trying to think of another one we can do here. Let's go with sort of most consistent. Maybe not MVP or improved, but a player that just has impressed you based on just keeping the level of performance throughout the entire year, from August to May. Who's that player where you go, he's been consistently good? Maybe not great, but consistently good. Yeah. Uh, I want to say Rabio, but the last couple of months like you i think you pointed out yeah he's, he looked, he's looked either bored yeah. bored or disinterested i wind up but um i'm gonna go with ravio even though the last month or two he, he like you said um like you pointed out he's looked disinterested or bored um but you know he's been he's been for me the most consistent player um i think you know he was i think the first leg against real he had a he was one of the few with a good game um but uh, I would I would have to go with him. Um, I'm not sure if you have the same opinion, but uh, I'll let you go. Um, I would say, in, in just sort of how I look at the um, how I look at the sort of category, I would say it's Marquinhos because I can't remember Marquinhos having a bad game. I, he's not spectacular. He's not sort of the aerial physical, uh, dominant presence that Thiago Silva is or was in his prime. He's not sort of the physical specimen that Presnel Kimpembe is, where he can go out there and just lock people down one-on-one. 
But I just feel like it's a guy who is going to give you a good game pretty much every time he goes out there. And PSG need those types of consistent players that you know what you're going to get from them. They're not really going to shrink from the moment. And I think this year he sort of proved that he's going to be a stalwart in that back line for the next five to seven years, you'd hope. And it wasn't his most spectacular year. I think he just has been a genuinely good, consistent player. Um, what about, let's go for, on the negative side, who is the most yeah. disappointing player for you this year? The player that you thought was going to give you more and ended up giving you less? Uh... I gotta go with uh, Levin Pizzala, uh, your favorite player. Um, I just, you know, I thought maybe he would this season he'd be able to limit, you know, the amount of uh, games or matches where he would stand out on the negative side. You know, limit his his uh, blunders from time to time. Um, but you know, it's obviously not working for him in Paris. Um, you know, which is why we are starting to pick up or, you know, starting to hear rumors. Um, but for me, it's, um, Kuzawa, uh, I, I, I was a huge fan. I think, uh, I thought maybe this would be the season that, you know, he can at least show he, he you know, once they brought in Berchicha, I, I thought, you know, he would, uh, you know, pick up, pick that up as a, okay, I need to step up my game. But obviously it, uh, it didn't happen this season. The issue, I think, for Levin Kurzawa really sort of started, one, it started with the injury. But I think as a as a left back, he can be very uh, dynamic offensively. You saw him score the three goals against uh, Anderlecht in the Champions League. And I think he was like the first left back ever to score a hat trick in a, in a, you know, a Champions League game. But that's not really what he's there to do. PSG at this point, and this is sort of where the league has evolved from under him. Two years ago, three years ago, PSG were able to really dominate possession against a lot of these league on teams who were afraid to sort of come out and press them and were afraid to counter them and really wanted to sit back and absorb the pressure and not lose too badly. And players like Serge Aurier and players like Levin Kurzawa took advantage of that because it allowed them to basically be one-way players and purely offensive. When the league sort of caught up and started really trying to press PSG, trying to take the ball away in their own half to sort of create counters, players like Levin Kurzawa and Serge Aurier kind of showed why they're not very good defenders. And Levin Kurzawa is just not a good enough defensive player to stand up in a high-pressure game. You saw it in the Champions League games. You saw it against Lyon in that January game where he was basically the reason they lost in that last you know two minutes of the game. And... It just, I was beating the drum for five months. Eventually, again, it, it, it didn't take a, it didn't take a tactical, you know, football genius to figure out that 
Yuri Berchiche, while not maybe the spectacular kind of offensive threat that Kurzawa is, can at least play some damn defense and give you a chance to win on that side of the ball. So yes, the most disappointing is Kurzawa. I would say my runner-up would probably be, just because he was injured a whole bunch of times, maybe it's Yago Mata. I don't think he turned out to be as sort of um, reliable as maybe they hoped he would be. Um, other than that, um, depending on what you think of Danny Alves, I thought Alves was pretty good for stretches. I thought there were some games where he was dreadful, but yeah. I wouldn't call him a disappointment. I think PSG kind of knew what they were getting when they got him. Um, anything else you'd like to say about the 2017-2018 season? Oh, um, let me throw in another one. What, what game stands out to you as your sort of best game? Uh, if we're going to go league on, I got to go, go with that Let's Monaco go league on and then let's go general. Let's go league on and then okay. let's go overall. Yeah, I, I'd go that 7-1 something that they gave Monaco. That that was the best game uh, for me of the season. That, you know, they knew what was on the line and, and they wanted to defeat the current champions. And it it, had, it, it was with an exclamation point, um, which, you know, uh, wrapped up League on for PSG. For me, that was the best game in League on for PSG. Yeah, I would say that that was a very... I would, I'd would i put that in my top three. Uh, some honorable mentions for League on games. I thought their 6-2 against Bordeaux was spectacular. The one with the Neymar free kick and the Draxler volley. Yeah. That was a yeah, really, yeah. really... Like, that half was one of the better halves I've ever seen PSG play. And if we're talking about Champions League overall, um, that 3-0 against Bayern was very, very convincing. I thought when watching that game, I thought this team showed a whole lot of potential. And I don't yeah. think they ever got to that sort They, I think that was their most sort of complete game offensively and defensively. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that, 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 that for me is the... Uh, best game they had in the Champions League as well. Yeah, and I'd also like to add the, I believe it was, a, again, another 7-1 scoreline, this time versus Celtic. At yeah, the park oh yeah, when, the opening, um, yeah. When uh, Celtic got the first goal and then Neymar just decided to take over the game. That one was pretty good for me. Um, uh, I also want to add, oh, I wanted to, but before we go, I wanted to add the 2-2 draw at, in Marseille. Yes. I think um, that that Cavani free kick, uh, that, I mean, it, it was one of the most hostile environments I, you know, I, I've seen them play in, and to walk away um, with that draw, it was just, it felt for me, you know, more, it felt, it just felt, uh, I felt like that was one of the best, uh, I guess, ending um, to a match. Yeah, and that was a tough match all the way through. And PSG were able to come out of it with the draw. And I always like to refer to those as championship draws. And those are the games you got to draw to to win championships, and PSG did just that. Um, Worst game? Uh, I mean, it's easy to pick the Real game, but I'm going to go with that Real game at home. Um, You know, that, that one, they just didn't show up. Um, and they, they were visibly frustrated, which is why, you know, I think it was Rafi who got the red card towards the end of the first half. And it just, 
yeah, that the variety red card in the second half when they fell down one nil. Um, I would say that game along with. Uh, that Saint-Étienne game you referred to earlier where I think PSG got outplayed for 90 minutes. Yeah. I'd throw that one in. And um, that Lyon game wasn't particularly great either, the one that they lost 2-1. Uh, that was, that was a wrong one. What was it you were saying? Commemorative Cup they were giving away? Oh, yeah, the Commemorative Cup game, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Um, anything else on the 2017-2018 season before we move into um, the future? Uh, I guess it, 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 this goes with a lot. Of, this goes in time with the future, but I guess should we talk? Mention some of the. I guess maybe uh, what we thought about Timothy Weah before we move on. I know he's probably going to be in. You know, we're going to talk about him in a bit. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to get into him. I think we're going to get into him in the Tuchel conversation. So um, all right, all right. let's let's we'll hit that. that. Let's hit uh, today at about uh, 7 p.m. Uh, Paris time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 uh, a.m. in the West Coast, where Eduardo is currently. Um, Thomas Tuchel was introduced to the media. I thought he came across as articulate. He spoke in three different languages during the press conference, English French and German. He talked about his admiration for the city, for the fans. Talked about the opportunity that he had. He talked about being uh, tactically adjustable, not being married to one concept or the other. He talked about his meeting with Neymar. He confirmed that that happened last Sunday. He talked about Neymar being an integral member of the team. So, obviously, he doesn't think he's leaving. Um, they also He also talked about, and I think this is an exact direct quote, if the transfer window closed today, he would be a happy man, which is what you're really supposed to say in the sense that you don't want to start talking about the players on the team like they're expendable or that we're going to just go buy and sell a bunch of different guys and, you know... You want to sort of have faith in the roster that you have because you don't exactly know who you're going to have and who you're not. But I thought he was genuine in the sense that I think he feels like he can take some of those younger players and fill some of the gaps that this roster has, which it does have some gaps. It has some significant gaps. And um, something I like that he mentioned, he talked about the small things and doing the small things, which I think they lost under the... uh, the Emery era. I thought Emery teams, I think they sort of, I think these Emery teams have lacked sort of the the fine uh, detail, the fine attention to detail that great, great Champions League teams have. I think they, especially in these games against league gun teams or, you know, middle of the week league gun games or cup games, you felt like, PSG weren't necessarily going into it with any sort of game plan or strategy. You just sort of felt like they were going into, you know, to get the you get the three points with their talent and to not really work too hard. I liked a lot of what he said. Can he deliver on it? I'm not sure. We'll see. Time will tell. Eduardo, what did you initially think of Tomas Tuchel's introduction to Paris Saint-Germain? Uh, like, like you said, I'll, I'll, I'll echo what you said, um, he came off as smart, articulate, 
speaking three different languages. He, he pretty much gave, uh, you, he, he gave, uh, what everyone wants to hear. He was politically correct. He didn't throw anyone under the bus. Um, he didn't, you know, uh, diminish, you know, what Emory had done or, or anything like that. So he, 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 he was, uh, for example, he was, uh, you know, what, uh, a politician would say when they're running for office. So I think he gave every, he, uh, let us, uh, supporters know, uh, or he gave us what we wanted to hear. Um, uh, what else did, what else was there? Um, I think that was, that was pretty much it. I mean, he covered everything, uh, that, uh, I wanted to touch on. Well, do you think that, do you think that things will be different when it came, when it comes to, the way that the youth is used as opposed to the oh, Emory era where it felt like you really had to do something spectacular to sort of get into Emory's rotation. And you saw yeah. Wea get the one start at the end. He was all right in the game. You saw Adley play for 10 minutes at the end. You Obviously, you seen Adley could have played more. Obviously, Christopher Nkunku could have played more in the beginning of the year in October, November, and December when they maybe should have been resting people and instead they didn't. Um, you talk about Danny Alves playing pretty much like 30 games in a row for some reason when you have a very capable Thomas Meunier behind him. These are all of the criticisms that Emery faced over his time, especially in the second year. And I'm curious as to if Tuchel is going to change that. And I think by the tenor that he took, I feel like at least that's the idea going into it right now. Yeah, I think he's going to give a lot of uh, youth an opportunity. I mean, you saw that at Dortmund. I mean, he gave uh, uh, Christian Pulisic a chance. Um, he had, uh, what's his name, uh, Rafael. I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher his last name, but I think Guerrero or Carrier. Yeah, yeah, he gave him a chance, um, Jonathan Weigel, um, just those are the three that are at the top of my head that he gave them a chance to, to play on the first team, and they succeeded. Um, uh, so I, I believe, you know, the Timothy Wiz, the Yassine Ali, the Alec Torgens of the world are going to get an opportunity. It's just going to be up to them to seize this opportunity. Um, but hopefully, you know, when it comes to middle-of-the-week games, cup games, um, you know, PSG can rely on this youth, which I think you, I think Tupo will do to give some of the older players, you know, a rest, uh, uh, to prepare for any big upcoming matches, um, whether it be Champions League or, or League on Games. Well, and that was the problem. PSG had squad depth, but they never used it in the first five months of the year because you always felt like Unai Emery was coaching for his job every week. Yeah. And with Tuchel, I think he's going to have the opportunity at the beginning to sort of implement what he wants. And I do genuinely believe him when he says that he would be happy with some of the guys he has, because that's sort of what that's a mentality that I think you want from your coach, which is I'm going to do the best with what I have. And I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to develop it and I'm going to make it better and I'm going to save, you know, save our transfer budget for when we actually really need it. Too many times you see coaches like 
Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho, who are constantly trying to turn their squad over and get veteran players and, you know, change the dynamic constantly when it might be better to just play some youth and see what sort of happens in their development before you sort of fish and cut bait with them. I feel like Tuchel is somebody, and he said this word a lot too, at least three or four times he said the word patience. And I think that's really the difference, which is you need a guy in there that's going to be patient with the youth players, who's going to be willing to let them make mistakes, but also be firm when they're not cutting it in the main, you know, on the main team. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I also thought, as I said before, one of the interesting parts is he talked specifically, he was asked about Neymar because of course he was, and he sort of, I think, gave a really intelligent, smart answer, which is we have to find a way to build a system around a great player. I think calling Neymar an artist was not a mistake. I think uh, Tuchel knows darn well that flattery will get you everywhere in this business, especially when it comes to having star players. And I really do believe that Thomas Tuchel firmly understands that besides Neymar being a business investment, right now as it currently stands until Kylian Mbappe develops or Yassine Adli develops or Adrian Rabio takes that final step to being a great player, his best chance to win a Champions League is going to be Neymar performing at a high level in Champions League knockout games. So... Make them feel good, meet them, talk to them. They talked about the, uh, there was a board behind them. They drew up some stuff, you know, impromptu. Just, I, I I think Tuchel's just really smart in how he approaches things. I just wanted to kind of get your yeah. opinion on how he went about that, because I thought that was a really kind of slick, sly um, deal there from Tuchel, and it kind of shows his intelligence. Yeah, no, I actually, um, on the article that was posted, uh, I think it was yesterday, um, I touched on that, um, uh, to go, um, he makes his, uh, star players feel, you know, all warm, welcome, you know, he, he pumps their tires, I mean, uh, uh, he had, uh, Pierre, uh, Aubameyang, um, uh, at Dortmund and Usman Dembele, I mean, he, he, from what I've read and when I, when I was writing this piece, uh, you know, he, he made them feel, you know, like I said, he pumped their tires, he, he talked them up, and they performed under him. Um, um, Aubameyang uh, finished, uh, he was neck and neck with Lewandowski for, you know, the golden boot in Germany, and Usman Dembele just, you know, he, he, all of a sudden he's worth 100 million uh, euros uh, for Barcelona, so uh, he has that connection with superstar players that you know, if you if they listen to him, he'll get them where they need to be um, talent wise. So I think you know he has that. The veterans in the in the club, in the dressing room like like will have to watch out for him because they might be you know expendable. But the superstars, he'll 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 try to get the best out of them. I I like I like and to a degree I really like his sort of charm. And I feel like 
Unai Emery is a fundamentally good person. And I, I wrote an article about this a couple months ago, but I think being a fundamentally good person sometimes in this business puts you in a tough spot because you really do want to please everybody. And I feel like Emery for the longest time has sort of been in this spot where he's just there to try to make people happy or to not, maybe not even to make them happy, but to not piss them off. And you've got this sort of inarticulate, um, go along to get along guy who I think had ideas, but just never was able to express them or to convince people to do them. And that's sort of the problem, which is you have to be able to, you, you can have ideas, but you have to convince people to do them. And I think Tuchel's going to be able to do that, I think, very much better than Emery ever could. Uh, anything else on the on the presentation of the press conference or anything else before we uh, before we sign off? Um, let's see. I think I think that's about it. Yeah, so I think we'll leave it off there. So. I want to, before we sign off, just thank all of the listeners of PSG Small Talk. Um, I started this in late July, early August, just about when the Neymar transfer happened around that time. I think my first episode was before that, and I think my second or third was the uh, was the news of the Neymar transfer. And... It's been a very um, interesting 10 months. It's been a lot of fun to put these together, to present them to you. It kind of started as a uh, sort of 10-minute, quick little mini podcast to sort of recap news. It's turned into a little bit more than that. Um, I've brought on guests like um, Eduardo Razo, Carl Oscar Kallstrom, John Olangi, some of our uh, PSG talking contributors. We've um, we've put together a World Cup project, sort of based on my uh, based on the sort of format that I've been developing. And I just again want to thank everybody for um, giving this a listen. There's a lot of podcasts out there, and because you're you know I'm I'm very grateful that you're listening to this one. It's um, homemade. It's not the most fancy setup in the world. It sometimes doesn't have the best audio you'll ever hear, but it's it's ours and it's one of a kind. Um, so again, thank you very much. And I urge you to keep joining us during June. We're not going to be on obviously as much unless there's some breaking news happening. I kind of need a podcast break, but we will still be doing um, World Cup shows every week, which will be about around 30 minutes or so, just recapping the week that was. I'll have some guests for that. Um, we'll start picking up the small talks again in July when PSG camp opens, and we'll really start getting going once the preseason games start and the transfer window really uh, really starts to get into high gear. So don't expect to have too many more small talks during the month of May or the month of June. Again, unless something really... Um, breaking news, any sort of really breaking news happens. 
Um, in the meantime, we're still going to be posting articles. You can obviously follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for daily updates. Um, there's a rumor that PSG Talking will make its triumphant return in the next week or so with an end-of-season recap that'll go into a little more depth than we did. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, make sure to visit the website, psgtalk.com, and look at our Patreon page while you're there. So, for Eduardo Razo, for the entire PSG Talk staff, this is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon saying au revoir for now. <laughs>